Hey, happy Friday, Matt. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, Joe? It's, good, uh, it's good. just us this week. It's uh, kind of a change of pace. It's been a while yeah, since we've yeah, done a the, solo. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've done this for a while. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to talk about the uh, the book today. Um, uh, so fundamentals of data off, engineering. Yeah. Yes. So there's a lot yeah. of uh, blood, sweat, and tears in that book. Not not in the printed copies, just in the Google Docs that we used to create it. I guess. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, yeah. That's what, what you know. What 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 should people know? Um, yeah, I mean, what should people know about this book? Um, I think one of the one of the questions we get is like, what's the difference between this and numerous other data engineering books that are out there? And I think our goal in writing this was to write something that was complementary to a lot of fantastic O'Reilly books that are either about specific technologies or about low-level technical details of things like designing distributed systems. What we found was missing from the market was kind of a holistic view that would last for a while, we hoped, of how to undertake data engineering projects, how to design them, how to architect them, how to choose technologies, but not as much into the details of particular technologies. Yeah, yeah I felt the same way. It was, um, you know, I think when we decided to write a book on data engineering, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the temptation was to write, um, you know, a book that is very technology focused, right? And so uh, that, that might be, you know, data engineering using X, Y, or Z technology or, or a cloud platform or whatever. But the more I started peeling it back, I think it was definitely, a, I think, a recognition that, well, nobody's, we haven't really seen anybody like describe data engineering either as a field or what it entails, right? Um, so if you're getting into the field of data engineering, the, the questions we always get were, um, how do I become a data engineer or what does a data engineer do? And that's, um, that was something we just didn't see. There were random blog posts, you know, <laughs> circulating around, but nothing really, uh, um, I would say, um, you know, comprehensive. And so this, this book was an attempt to, uh, you know, ad address those questions. Um, and, and we found out that was very difficult. You want to, you want to walk the listeners through, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, I guess the formulation process and so forth. I mean, it's funny. I think we got the core idea from several different inspirations, but I think one of the main ones was uh, Google Cloud Platform has this notion of, they just call it a data lifecycle. And so what do you do with data? Where does it come from? Where does it end up? What are your goals with data? And so we kind of took their idea of a data lifecycle and came up with the data engineering lifecycle, which, which was our specific version of this idea where you, you focus on just the different stages that the data will go through to get to a final use case. So first you have to ingest it, and then you need to think about how that data is stored. And actually storage happens throughout as you're handling data. And then how are you going to process and transform that data? And then how are you going to serve it? And so we basically just took the, the general processes of data engineering and broke them down in this way, and then studied each of these stages in some detail. Yeah, so for the audience, this is the uh, the I guess the graphic of the um, data engineering lifecycle, right? So it's about gener you know, understanding the, the systems that generate data. Um, you know, how is data stored across the lifecycle, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's being ingested, transformed, served, you know, whether it's analytics, machine learning, and reverse CTL, and and so forth. But also the big question is, what are the undercurrents, right? So as we started thinking about yeah. um, data management, for example, and data governance, where does that fit in? Like you could, it would be weird to have a separate chapter on that because it undercuts everything. 
Right. Uh, and so we decided, well, why don't we just have it as an undercurrent and we just discuss, you know, how it applies at each um, stage of the life cycle. And so I think this, um, you know, for, for people out there who are interested in the book, I mean, this is really in a nutshell, like what we're, um, what we cover uh, throughout the book. So it's a the life cycle and the undercurrents. And originally we tried to make this a hierarchy, right? We thought, okay, we can have these main sections on ingestion and transformation and serving, and then we'll have various topics under each one. And what we found out is that like orchestration doesn't fit under any stage because it cuts across all the stages. Same thing with yeah. software engineering. You're going to be software engineering throughout. Same thing with the security. Like you don't only focus on security during the ingestion phase, or you're going to have serious data leakage issues. Right. Yeah. So obviously, yeah. when you're looking at this graphic, don't think that it, security is only under generation and so forth. Right. I think that it could be construed as, uh, you know, um, but there, there are undercurrents that undercut every aspect of the uh, the life cycle. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, writing this, what were some of the big epiphanies for you um, that you, you, you didn't know about or were um, maybe kind of, um, you know, changed your mind about things about data engineering? Um. I don't know if this is an epiphany per se, but I think what we both really discovered was that data engineering is kind of this, I'd almost call, call it like folklore. In other words, um, there are a lot of really great ideas out there that many, many engineers in the field discuss on LinkedIn and on various medium in various medium posts and in, uh, in podcasts as well. And so a lot of our job was to take those ideas that were out there and then kind of slot them into this framework. And so if you look at our acknowledgements at the front, it's extremely long. And oh, people yeah, have reached out to us like, quick. yeah, yeah, it's, it's huge. But the point is that this was almost, it's like the, you know, it takes a village idea almost. Um, I, think, I think many, many individuals have contributed to certain technologies. Like you can think of a person like, oh, here's the person who is really responsible for, I don't know, Apache Spark or for Google BigQuery. But we as a community have come up with more general ideas of how to handle data, how to management, how to manage it, how to use modern tools. And so that's what we really tried to capture in this book. And yeah. of course, we couldn't thank everyone. And I'm sure we missed people. But we tried to have yeah. a lot of conversation and integrate those ideas. It was a lot of conversations. I mean, if it's not any yeah. secret, like, you know, we, we've been doing a lot of um, podcasts and a lot of interviews mm -hmm. with you know, top people in the data field and we give them shouts out in the acknowledgements here because these were, you know, in addition to our wonderful, um, you know, uh, reviewers here, the, the discussions that we had and the people that we talked to and the conversations, you know, along the way, whether they're recorded or not, I mean, these were conversations that really um, drove, um, you know, the the fabric of the, of, the, of the book and the ideas behind it. But it was really, um, you know, as, as Matt says, it, it, you know, it takes a village to, to raise a child or a you know, community to, to book in this you know, case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so that, you know, shout out to everybody who um, I think was, you know, involved, whether they knew it or not. Cause I think we, we did keep a very open mind when we were um, talking with people, you know, it, um, it, it's, it's not like we know everything. Right. And I, and the other thing is no, too, exactly. when, you, when you write a book, I, I think you also realize like how little you actually know when you start. Oh yeah. Yeah. Them. That's so. And even when you're done, you're like, yeah, we've kind of scraped the surface, scraped, scratched the surface of this topic. Yeah. Um, there will probably be other books and many, many blog posts after this, but like, there's only so much you can fit into 400 pages. And so you have to pick out the essentials and then other details will have to go into other more specific books in the future. That's just a reality. Yeah, for sure. And if the audience has questions too, about the book, happy to, um, we're talking about the fundamentals of data engineering. Uh, um, I don't know, Riley, uh, just came out. So, um, but yeah, I think be. it's. 
What's that? Oh, I was just going to say it should start shipping from Amazon soon, but it is available digitally yeah, for, now. Yeah. For people who've been wondering where their book is, um, apparently, uh, you know, you can get the print version maybe other places, maybe, but the oh, um, actually, I've, okay. seen, I've seen print versions. Yeah. I saw actually somebody from uh, India showed me a, a picture of a paper copy or a physical nice. copy they had. So it's, it's out there, but Amazon will take the book and apparently do Amazon things to the book. I don't know what that is, whether they, you know, have like some sacred ritual they, uh, do with the book and then sell it. But anyway, um, if you order it from Amazon, it'll it'll show up hopefully soon. So, yeah, nice. But yeah, again, uh, you know, the audience um, looks like quite a few people tuning in on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, feel free to ask questions if you um, you know want to know about the book. Otherwise, Matt and I will just keep uh, keep uh, rambling, shattering away. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah but yeah, anyway, I, who's this book? For? Who is this book for? Um, that's that's a good question. I think we identified a couple of key audiences, and you know we hope it will have a pretty broad reach, even beyond the initial audiences we identified. But uh, part of the key audience is like the aspiring data engineer. So I think it's no secret that in the last couple of years, the the whole profession of data engineering has gotten really hot. Like it's become um, a very sought after position, both by employers and employees. Uh, and we, we hope that this book can guide people in the process of trying to become data engineers, either starting from, you know, maybe a computer science degree or starting as software developers and saying, Hey, I want to shift to this new field, or even people who are starting out in code camps and just kind of starting from scratch and wanting, wanting to get into the tech industry. We hope that we can provide them with some valuable guidance. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some things that, that an aspiring data engineer, um, should know, when they're getting into the field of data engineering? I, I think the really hard part is that they're supposed to know everything, right? right? That's what just people find completely overwhelming. And what typically happens is people say, hey, I want to get into data engineering. And people give them this infinite list of technologies and programming languages and frameworks. And then they just have no idea where to start. And I think the problem is that they're in some sense, you, you don't, you're, you're trying to build a house without a plan, right? You're not uh, looking at the big picture. You're talking about all the pieces like, okay, here's part of the electrical system and here's an outlet over here. And, oh, we're going to use a bunch of two befores and nails, but you're not talking about like, what is the purpose of the entire thing? What does the floor plan look like? And so we tried to give people the floor plan so they could figure out where they could start slotting in some of these technologies. Right. In a lot of cases, we found like the uh, the rubrics um, that we'd seen. Now, there were some crazy diagrams out there. Yeah. So here's what a data engineer needs to know. And it's like, Right, everything under the sun, right? Um, and I and I think that's the wrong way to go about learning data engineering. Like you really need to uh, start from first principles and understand, um, you know, stuff like life data life cycle. I think that's yeah. huge, right? If you can put things into context, that certainly helps. If it's just a hodgepodge of technologies, um, uh, you know, as Matt said, that's it's. Um, I mean, it's like looking through a, like an IKEA catalog and, and saying that's going to be your house when you haven't even built the house yet. Um, yeah. So, you know, but, uh, but, and so, uh, you know, there's a question here. Um, what is a good enough checklist uh, from Michelle here? What is a good enough checklist of skills to apply for an entry level uh, data engineering role? Uh, what is a good starting place? Uh, what do you think? Yeah. So I, I think rather than focusing on really extravagant, like exotic technologies, you want to focus on the basics and then build out from there. And so, there are several languages, as we mentioned in the book, several programming languages that are used in data engineering. But I think Python is a really good starting point and a really good foundation. Almost every almost every data engineering job will use some Python somewhere. And so like get really solid on Python. 
um, start learning some frameworks like Airflow, learn how to interact with cloud technology technologies. Um, the next thing I would say is get really good at SQL. And so go through a lot of SQL coding exercises and just learn to start working with data and thinking about data. And the great thing now that wasn't true like 10 years ago is that there are all these cloud databases that you can spin up and it takes like 10 minutes to set up a Snowflake account or a Google BigQuery account or even to set up Amazon Redshift. And you can actually get hands-on with the same technologies that are being used in Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's a good starting point. I think it depends mm -hmm. on where you're coming from too, right? That, that's so, absolutely um, true. Yeah. You know, so the checklist of skills will, will probably be the skills that either you don't currently have or skills yeah. that you need to improve upon. Yeah. Um, I would, I would take a step back too. And I would say like, it's definitely good to learn Python and SQL, but you need to know how to use these tools properly. In fact, Matt yeah. and I were, were just doing a, um, you know, a, we kind of have this like secret uh, um, study group uh, for data engineering, but I think there's really, um, we're talking about clean code today, right? And like the best way to, to, to write um, code. And I think as you're learning Python, as you're learning SQL, pay attention to the craft of writing code as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yes. so, so software right. engineering is one of the undercurrents of data yep. engineering. For and good reason. So, yeah. but, but learn how to, um, you know, use the best practices of software engineering as you're writing code. I think all too often people jump into writing Python and the nice thing with Python is accessible. The, the, the crappy mm -hmm. thing about Python is it's, it's accessible which means um, the amount of like really, um, I would say, unclean code or dirty code um, or just badly written code is uh, very prevalent. And this is so it's also about developing the habits of being a good engineer. Right. So I would also say, like, you know, understand, um, you know, at a basic level, things like agile, um, you know, yep. software development processes. These kinds of things are, I think, what's going to make you a good data engineer. Um, you know, obviously learn the tools, but learn the craftsmanship behind the tools too, right? And so these, these, these things to me are inseparable. Like you, you need to learn these things. And, and I would say along the way too, think about soft skills too. Um, you know, mm -hmm. these are highly underrated, but we talk about them in the book. It's uh, who do you communicate with? This is in every, um, who do you work with, right? This is, this is something that's in every chapter. Yeah. Um, Cause you really do need to know like who are the stakeholders that you're involved with, not just, hey, I'm gonna, you know, make, um, you know, some cool data engineering stuff happen, right? Like it, it, it affects, people uh, upstream and downstream from you. And I think it's, it's one of the things we want to hammer home as well. It's so um, anything else uh, with the checklist? I'll, I'll say like soft skills are tricky because there's kind of a chicken and egg problem here, right? Like if I don't have a job with a company working with data, um, how do I develop enough soft skills to get that job? And then how do I develop those soft skills without having a job? Like it's, it's that classic problem that shows yeah. up. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how does someone, you need enough soft skills to interview, of course, but ideally you'd start developing just like business stakeholder soft skills. Like, how do I communicate? Well, I mean, it's interesting. Paying, my, paying the bills, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so, so the skills you need to interview typically are the, you know, that that's to get the interview mm -hmm. hopefully pass it, but that's not really going to be indicative of your experience working at a company. Right. Because you've only passed a hurdle of passing the interview, but that's not to say you, you that also clears you to communicate with your team. Hopefully the team is screening for this kind of stuff, but you'd be yep. shocked at how often this doesn't happen. But then it's also the communication on a team versus communication of that team within a company. These are not the same thing, um, you know, so, cause there might be silos for one point, right? Yep. So yep. the team you're on may or may not communicate with the rest of the business. And this is, um, uh, it's, a, it's a 
it's not shocking how often this happens because it's just it's very regular um but yeah soft skills is one of those things i would say like you know dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people i think is a good mm -hmm. book to read and reread yeah. um um there's, there's certainly others but i would say they just start with that um but like i said the the, the good engineers i've seen are the ones that i think are, are technically adept but also are good at um communicating with stakeholders and um you know and, and i think also assessing what needs to be done i think the, the tendency for an engineer is to do engineering things and um you know, without the broader context of how it affects things. Back to the house example, Matt, I mean, you, you think you laid it out really perfectly where it's, if you're a really good carpenter, but you don't know what the floor plan is for a house, I mean, you're just going to uh, do carpenter stuff and build. And, you know, that's that's a lot of fun, but it needs to be towards a purpose. So, Well, we've all seen homes like this too, right? Where someone started building a home like back in the 1950s and it had like two bedrooms and then gradually they added onto it and added onto it. But the remodeling was never coherent. They just kind of like tacked on a room here and tacked on a room there. And that can happen both in an organization. In other words, we see like lots of data pipelines where nothing was thought out and stuff was just kind of tacked on over time without real clear thinking about technology or about business goals. And that can kind of happen in your career too. It's another thing you have to watch out for. <clears throat> I don't want to have a career plan of, of how to build yourself up both as a good engineer and a good communicator. And if you don't do that, if you don't have a plan, like, yeah, I'm going to learn to communicate with people. Um, you'll end up just kind of stuck in a corner doing some small part of a job without re realizing your full potential, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that the, the, there's yeah. this really good book, The Peter Principle, which came out in 1969, I believe, where it yeah. talked about how everybody inevitably will hit the uh, their highest level of incompetence in their job, basically stealing <laughs> yes. in which you can go no yes. further. Um, yeah. And the book correctly points out that, um, you know, technical chops, technical acumen, no matter what field you're in, that will probably take you five, maybe at max 10% of the way in your career mm -hmm. for your fullest potential. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is learning how to politic you know, communicate and so forth. That's a sad reality of it. Um, but it is what it is. Feel free to debate me on this, but um, it's not really a debatable thing. So, I mean, it's how work gets done, right? Even if you're yeah. really, really good at slinging code to actually accomplish something, to build systems, that takes a team and that takes resources and it takes actually multiple teams and it takes initiatives. And so that's where those other skills come in. Even if you're such a good engineer that you're able to spend 80% of your time delivering really high value code, the other 20% has to be like planning and communicating and explaining to yep. people why they should be paying you to spend that 80% on code. It's just a reality. Yeah. Unless you have a patron who will protect you from all that stuff, which For is sure. rare. I mean, yeah, it's really rare. But yeah. back to the original question, right? A, a good yeah. enough checklist of skills to apply for entry level data engineering, I think. Yeah. You know, just I would say the other key to that is like um, the look at the uh, job description that you're applying for and just mm -hmm. understand, do I have the skills on that job description yep. or not? Yep. That's, that's, I think, a really good place to start. Um, you know, I don't make sure this question gets it. There's actually a few other things to unpack here. So when you're when you're say you're applying for a job, an entry level job, um, what are what are some of the other good enough check that, that's not obvious? Right. So it's like. Um, the good enough checklist of skills would also imply like you're good at researching what the company does, mm -hmm. what their needs are, who's on the team, what they do in their backgrounds, um, and get to understand the stack they're using. So I think that there's, you know, looking at a job description in itself, um, a lot of job descriptions are aspirational in terms of the person that they think they want to hire. Almost all. Um, yeah. Almost all of them. Right. But the thing is, um, a lot of job descriptions too, a hiring manager, if you, if you have even maybe a subset of the skills that they're asking for, you're probably still a viable candidate. So really, 
page yep. to make sure that you're you're looking at kind of behind the scenes at what's the stack that they're actually using if that's available anywhere mm -hmm. LinkedIn profiles yep. look on you know um, some companies like the you know was it stack share or something like that I don't know share their stacks but just understand like what is actually going on because um, there's a lot of terrible job descriptions out there so and I, I mean, let's be frank that a lot of bits, I'm going to say bits instead of ink, because a, a lot of bits have been spilled on like medium and other places talking about how the tech hiring process is broken <clears throat> and no one solved this problem yet. And so we all have to play that game. Right. And part of the game is presenting various proxy signals because people have a hard time evaluating how good you'll actually be at the job. So you do want to get good at things like solving coding problems, um, SQL interviews, but also things like certifications can be super useful. And, you know, I think certifications are good, like signaling, but they actually teach you things too. I think we were both skeptical when we first started doing certifications. We, we thought we were really smart and like, oh, you know, it's fine. We have to get this cert, but, but we already know this stuff. And then we started doing the certifications like, oh, I actually learned a ton about AWS security yeah. or about stuff like best practices. Well, yeah, I've been using AWS for yeah. a while. And I think I got my first yeah. AWS cert back in 2017, but yeah, I thought I knew my stuff, right? And then I get to start actually studying for the uh, was the solutions architect, and it's like, uh, cool. So I, I there's there's what I think I know about AWS, and there's the, yeah. then there's the way AWS wants you to think about AWS. These yeah. aren't the same things, <laughs> so you should definitely take yeah, the yeah. time to to study. And um, actually, Eduardo has a question here. Um, what's your angle? Um, yeah, yeah, centralization, heavy governance, and semantic layers versus hiring lots of engineers and possibly re redundancy for super fast delivery. Um, I'm not sure if, what he means, what's your angle, um, but um, I don't know, take a stab at answering this. I think it's a good question. So It's a great question. So one of the things we emphasize in the book is what we call enterprise-y data engineering, which sounds really terrible, right? Who wants to do things in a really enterprise-y way? But I guess our point is that enterprises have been doing things like data management since the 1980s, at least. Um, and during the Hadoop era, during the era of like, hey, let's build a huge cluster to process big data, there was a tendency to dismiss those practices. And I think now all those practices are coming back with a vengeance because companies realize, hey, no matter how good my technology stack is, if I don't have things like data management and data catalog, cataloging and, and data quality management, my outcomes are not going to be very good. What I will say is that we we advocate a slightly different approach to this. So the enterprise approach was very centralized. We argue that you should have centralized leadership, but you should have more independent pursuit of these goals, more collaboration, less like central committee type stuff. But you, you should have people within the company all working toward a common goal of data quality, for example. It doesn't have to be a central committee that makes decisions. But you do want leadership saying, hey, we're all going to work toward this and we're going to find KPIs so that we can determine if we're creating quality data or not. What are your thoughts on this, Joe? Well, I, I want to address the second part of the question because yeah. I think a lot of the, yeah. the answer is very context dependent too. like, what, yeah. what is your team like? So there's no data, like fingerprints, there's no data team that's the same as the other, right? It's true. Um, yeah. And so I really think it depends uh, on a couple of things, um, you know, uh, Conway's law, for example, and um, and so forth. Um, hiring lots of engineers. Let's take that, you know, sort of as a, a default response. If you were to, if you were to accept that as sort of the null hypothesis, um, let's hire lots of engineers um, for super fast delivery, right? Okay, so I'm going to assess this and, and ask. Okay, so do you think hiring more engineers is going to give you super fast delivery? And if so, how would that happen? 
Matt and I were actually just talking about this in our study group, but it was, um, the question really was, okay, so why, and the thing has been bugging me a lot, um, when we see data teams, very, and, and I guess technical teams in general, very rarely do you see a standardization of skills or practices. Yeah. And so unless you have engineers that are all, um, I, I guess, you, you know what the expectations are, you know that they're great. And the thing is, they know that they know each other are great and can execute as a team. I don't know that you should expect super fast delivery. Just because you hire lots of people doesn't necessarily um, equate towards fast delivery or quality delivery, right? Yep. Um, and so I'd be very cautious. There's an old uh, book, The Mythical Man Month, that goes into this where it's, you know, an already slow pro software project is not going to get any faster by hiring more people and putting them on the project, right? That was as true then as is true now. And so what it really comes down to is having good practices and guardrails in place where you can move fast um, and not break things. And so, um, but again, it's all context dependent and whether that's achievable or not really depends on your broader organization as well. Because again, engineering teams don't exist in a vacuum. They get, yep. they get pressure from above typically. Um, they may get pressure from below. But the thing is, it's like, it's not just something where you magically, um, you know, hire lots of engineers and things get done. There's, there's other um, things at play. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it goes back to this uh, analogy of like the floor plan for a house, right? Um, if you hire a lot of engineers and there's no goal, like, Hey, you guys are really smart. <clears throat> do some magic with data. What do you think is going to happen? Maybe you'll get some results out of that, but if you don't know what the goal is, then there's nothing to achieve. Like what, what do you expect to happen out of this whole process? Um, you, you need someone who's providing that leadership and deciding what the goals are for the data projects before you can even start hiring people, frankly. Um, and mm -hmm. then you can start slotting talent in and saying, all right, we know that we want to have a better view of customer data, for example. We want to use that to improve the customer experience and then start getting more concrete. Then you can bring data engineers into a project to start delivering those things. Yeah, I would say we see more projects fail as a result of ignoring that, right? So yeah. it's like oh, let's just hire data engineers and data scientists and then we'll yep. put them on problems and they'll magically solve them. Like that's, I think, a great way to waste a lot of money and, and frustrate a lot of people. So, yeah, I've been in that situation. I think you've been in that same. situation. Yep. Yeah. That's why we're Which, recovering data scientists. <laughs> that's right. And eventually we found our way, but it would have been nice to have a little more leadership from the get-go. And that that is a problem with being in a hot field like this, that people will hire you without even knowing <clears throat> what it means to be a data engineer or a data scientist without clear goals in mind thinking that because Google or Facebook is doing this, they can just hire people and magically their business will improve. And that's not really how it works. You need some direction leadership to accomplish goals. You don't say. <laughs> um, got another question here uh, from Prani. Um, uh, asks, uh, would, you, would you say your book would be beneficial for data product managers with some data knowledge, maybe software engineering background, for example, or even without, uh, what do you think? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I would say that that was a big part of the goal for this book. In some sense, um, our goal was maybe to help data engineers become data product managers. And so certainly this should also speak to actual data product managers who are thinking about goals and what they're trying to accomplish with data. What are your thoughts on this? I agree. Yeah. It's meant to be accessible, right? Yeah. Um, we, we didn't want to write a book that um, was extremely opaque, uh, terse, and um, you know, would, I guess would be kind of pointless to spend a lot of time writing that. The whole right, notion is right. to make it accessible to people. For example, my wife, she's not technical. She's reading the book right now and yeah. enjoying it. Um, I don't know why, but, but she is. So, or so she says she is, maybe she's, she's flattering, but, um, 
but no, I mean, we, we made this book to, to, to basically cover the things you need to know about data engineering. And I think in a broader, I think to a broader extent, data as it you know, is used right now. So, yeah. And I mean, when we, when we talked to O'Reilly about this project back then, it was Jess Haberman before she went to Anaconda. Uh, but I, I think a lot of people thought it was a completely crazy project because data engineering is so vast. And so to accomplish that, we kind of had to cut out a lot of the low level technical detail and really talk about more of a product and project approach to data. And for that reason, again, it's complementary to technical books. This book does not replace technical manuals in any sense. It helps you to decide if Spark is the right tool. If Spark is the right tool, you need to go get various books on Spark to dig into the details. But, but it will help you to lay out that floor plan, right? To understand what the big goal is of your engineering project. I would say it's a cousin to designing data intensive applications. Yeah. I would say it's definitely a, you know, a relative of that and, and mm -hmm. other books as well. But I think yeah. it was the closest compliment I would say to that book. It's exactly, I think, covers what uh, designing data intensive applications does not cover. So Right. Right. Which is designing data intensive applications is this just fantastic book on designing distributed systems to scale. Right. But it doesn't it, it's not by the author's own admission. It's not designed to talk about like the day to day practice of data engineering necessarily. But if you want to become a successful data engineer, you probably want to read both books and a lot of other books as well. Yeah. Just read lots of books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Read I mean, lots of books. Book here. <laughs> this book was super handy, too. I mean, the, the yeah. game of book of knowledge, I would say it's a. Uh, it's, it's pretty dry. It's but yeah, we definitely dry. <laughs> yeah, but it's good, right? And so yeah. we spent like ninety percent of our time researching and, and yeah, you know yeah. and ten percent writing, which should show you how much research went into this. It was not yeah. a light feat to write this thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So just uh, maybe go through the table of contents here real quick and kind of show the audience like what uh yeah what's in here. what's in here yeah. And again, if the audience has any questions, feel free to uh drop them in. Otherwise you'll just get to hear Matt and I blabbing for a bit. Um, cool. So what did we cover? Right. So foundations and building blocks, data engineering described talks about what is data engineering. It's kind of important to know if you're going to talk about data engineering. So uh, the data engineering life cycle and the undercurrents uh, architecture. Talk about this one, Matt architecture. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, we we've gotten a lot of compliments from like our friend Chris Tapp, for example, on this chapter. And the idea when we talk about architecture here is to talk about architecture both in technical and non-technical ways. So what's the non-technical part of this? Well, that goes back to what I was saying. It's like uh, having the floor plan for a house. You're not going to be thinking about every possible technical detail of the HVAC system or the electrical system when you're drawing out the floor plan. You're just trying to think about how people are going to live in that house and what rooms and what spaces they might need. And if they're going to be cooking there, they probably need a kitchen. If they're going to be watching TV, maybe they need some kind of a, a living room or something like this. Um, they're, they're going to need spaces to sleep in. And so architecture, you need to start at that level. And then gradually, once you decide what you're actually trying to accomplish with data, then you can dig into the details of what the technologies are going to be. And incidentally, we actually have a whole separate chapter on choosing the right technologies because we kind of we outgrew what could fit into one chapter on architecture. Yeah. So this is very architecture related. It's like the next thing you do after you decide what your architecture is going to be. I think it's be. a good chapter. I have fun writing yeah. this part, right? It's, yeah. it's, very, um, it's very practical, right? Yeah. Total cost of ownership, but total opportunity cost of ownership too, right? Just because you yeah. choose technologies, like what's, <laughs> okay, so what's the opportunity cost of that decision? And so yeah. forth, um, you know, build versus buy, immutable, and so forth, right? 
So this is, these are fun. Um, I would say then we go into the life cycle right after. You want to talk about um, um, yeah. life cycle? Yeah, so this diagram encompasses it pretty well. Do you want to zoom in on that real quick? Yeah. You asked me to zoom in on it. Yes, of course. Even get it to work. There we go. Okay, perfect. So, so yeah, um, we in the data engineering lifecycle, we talk about things that data engineers control. And actually, we talk a lot about things that they don't control. So the very first stage is generation of data in source systems. And source systems can be within the walls of your company or they can be external. So internal, an, an internal example would be I'm a SaaS platform. I'm, you know, I have a phone app and that application generates data that needs to be processed for analytics. An external example would be I have HubSpot. I'm using this CRM tool that's a SaaS, someone else's SaaS platform, and I need to bring that data in to do analytics. Um, the point with generation is that you don't necessarily have a lot of control over how that data is generated, but you need to dig in as an engineer and understand how that happens. You can do all the subsequent steps afterward. Yep. You want to talk about ingestion next? Uh, storage actually. Oh, so well, yeah, yeah. We've we've ordered these in various ways because in some ways the order is not hundred percent defined. Yeah, ingestion right? was first and storage yeah. was next, but then like everything right. involves some sort of a storage, right? It whether it's temporary yeah. in cache or whether it's yeah. um you know permanently in a database or a data lake or whatever, but yeah. this is the whole notion of just storage, right? How is data stored? Raw ingredients of data storage. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, how do disks work, right? Uh, okay, and so I'll tell you, I'll tell a quick story. What, what we found is that um, younger people, younger software engineers coming to the industry don't necessarily know how disks work because they didn't like your phone doesn't have a physical mechanical hard drive. It has SSD storage, basically. And it's funny, like a lot of data engineering storage is still backed by spending disks. And so we actually called that out to talk about it in detail. Because again, if, you, if you've just been using computers for the last five years, you may have never really seen a hard drive in action. <laughs> and it's very important to understand like the performance, latency, um, cost characteristics to understand why you would use spinning disks in a data engineering system. Right, but they're quite common actually, right? Yeah, they're ubiquitous, all of object yeah. storage. So like Amazon S3 runs on spinning disks, Google Cloud Storage runs on spinning disks. And there are good reasons for that. And we talk about that in detail. Sure, we're going to serialization, compression, caching, yeah. you know, different types of storage systems. Yep. So it gets technical, right? This isn't just like, you know, we're kind of, um, you know, glossing over stuff. I'd say the, the, this part two here gets into very technical aspects of things. Um, yeah. So you'll, you'll learn a lot. Um, different storage abstractions, for example, and so forth. Um, big trends, right? So we talk about warehouses, lakes, lake houses, other data platforms, stream to batch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And undercurrents, right? So in each chapter, we talk about the undercurrents that you saw, um, data management, security, um, data ops, architecture, orchestration, software engineering, and so forth. Like, well, how does it apply to this particular um, section here, right? Next is ingestion. You'll talk about ingestion. Yeah, yeah. So ingestion is the process of, of pulling data out of those source systems. And ingestion is a lot of the complexity of modern data engineering, I would say. There are a lot of different strategies you can do, use for different system types. Um, often this is where you have to write custom code in order to do things like interface with APIs, interface with third-party platforms. Um, you have to think about your data update strategies. Are you updating in batch? Are you going to handle data as a stream using what's called change data capture out of a database? That approach is becoming more and more popular now, I would say. 
And over yep. time, it might come to dominate, which we talk about in kind of the future sure. of data engineering section. But yeah, yeah, this is where you really, as we said, you need to understand generation and your source systems to understand the problems of ingesting data and get it into your storage system so you can start doing things with it. For sure. Yeah, we talk about batch, streaming, um, different considerations there, right? So it's very complete way to ingest data, go through a slew of different ways to ingest data. Um, yeah. You know, uh, again, we talk about who you'll work with, upstream stakeholders, downstream stakeholders, undercurrents. Um, you know, the next chapter is on uh, queries, modeling, and transformation, right? So this is an element of the uh, life cycle where we're transforming data, making it useful for something, right? Combining yeah. data, slicing, dicing it, whatever. Um, and what can you say about data modeling? We, we definitely spend some time on data modeling. I, I think what happened in the big data era the Hadoop era is that everyone kind of ignored data modeling for several years and acted like it was uncool and you didn't need to think about it. What's well, your just, opinion yeah, on I mean, it was just It's kind of like, oh, you don't need it anymore, right? Right, right, yeah. But as I wrote in my newsletter yesterday, an yeah. art newsletter for Ternary Data, go subscribe to that, by the way, um, you know, modeling's coming back, right? It never went away, yeah. really, but I think it's getting yeah. more attention now. So uh, we went through different modeling techniques. I would say, you know, conceptual models, actually understanding what is a data model, uh, you know, going through these um, normalization uh, batch techniques. So again, like uh, Inman Kimball, Data Vault, just glossing, you know, kind of, I would say glossing over, but going over, like, you know, making them, I guess, um, you know, kind of available to you. So you should read more about these. These books are all huge. Um, so, uh, you know, for uh, data modeling, so you should definitely go read the originals, but, um, and modeling streaming data too, right? Like what yeah. are some thoughts on this? Um Transformations. What are some uh, common transformations of data, right? And so um, types of joins and so forth. And so, um, you know, we get quite technical in this, um, this chapter here. And finally, you know, serving data, right? So you can serve for yeah. analytics, machine learning, reverse ETL, probably other use cases as well. But these are the main ones that are common today that data engineers will encounter. So, you know, um, serving data, right? We also go into the human aspects of this, like trust. Um, that's kind of important mm -hmm. that people don't trust the way data is being served or what the data is. Kind of doesn't matter if you're serving it or not. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna care, or um, you know, or they might care a lot and have a problem with you. Yeah, so, yeah. What um, what have you seen organizational organizationally around data trust? What is the effect of like people not trusting data on a data engineering team? Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> this quote uh, covers it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, it takes twenty years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Um, this happens a lot with data teams. Yeah, yeah. So it takes one bad thing and I can't trust the data anymore. Therefore, I don't trust you either. So that's how yeah. that works. Yeah. And the reality is data sits at the heart of modern business, especially as companies grow larger. And yet there's this paradoxical thing where everyone relies on data to do their jobs and yet they secretly often don't trust it. And so right. you create this this environment of like <laughs> constant almost paranoia within a company and bad decision making because people don't trust data. Oh, yeah. They rely that they, they talk about being data driven, but they'll just rely on their gut and make bad decisions, ignoring the data that's in front of them because they can't trust it. It's and gut driven. So, Yep. It's yeah. And that this goes back to what we we're talking about with, you know, enterprise -y data practices. Like, yeah, it might seem very like a very dry thing to have to worry about data quality, but it's actually at the heart of your job. Like creating high quality data is much, much more important than the particular technologies that you use. For sure. And so let's look at this. Analytics, it's one way to serve data. This is very yeah. popular. You have yeah. BI, um, operational analytics, it's another big one. Um, yeah. embedded analytics. That's a third, right? So those are popular. What's that? Embedded analytics is growing. That's one thing I'll point out here. 
we in our consulting practice see it more and more often. And by this, we mean, okay, so, so typical business intelligence would point inward. There's a business. I, as a manager, get data about how my team is doing. Okay. But embedded analytics occurs like in a SaaS platform, for example, where you can have thousands of users looking at different analytics dashboards about their particular slice of that uh, SaaS platform. And this is a big data engineering um, challenge to serve data to that many users. Big one and growing a ton. Yeah. Yep. This is going to be more prevalent, I think. Uh, machine learning, right? Uh, super popular. But what do you need to know as a data engineer about machine learning? Yeah. To cover that. Exactly. Yep. Uh, reverse CTL, what is it? Right now it's a buzzword, but it's also a practice. Um, so talk about that. I think we're very clear too. Uh, maybe the term will change at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not wedded. Um, so uh, yeah, and this is, uh, you know, serving. Um, it's the final chapter for part two. Uh, part three, we get into, um, you know, security and privacy and the future of data yeah. engineering. So security is one of these things where it's, it deserves its own chapter because we want to really hammer in like security. Yeah. Without security yeah. and privacy, um, you ain't doing your job and bad things are going to happen. So it's simple as that. Sorry and the fact that humans out. are the weakest link usually, right? Like technology can be a weak link for security. But so often it's just people making very human mistakes that cause security breaches. Like maybe they know about a security vulnerability and they don't patch it. Like they, or they install insecure software or they install malware on their phones, which leaks a password, which gives access to critical corporate systems. So yeah, yeah we really want to emphasize that. Always think about security. Almost, it's almost something you should think about before any other aspect of your job. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we finally go into the future of data engineering, right? Our thoughts, this is a fun one to write because we can be totally yeah. wrong. Um, so... And what was the new um, you buzzword know, you coined in this section? Uh, the live data stack, right? Yes. So I think it's a recognition that real time, um, you know, uh, applications are getting faster. So um, that's that's a big one. So yeah, and I, yeah. I think to me the the big the key ingredient behind the live data stack is just managed services. So in other words, technologies like Kafka are not new, but they've gotten so much easier to deploy in the last few years. And that, I think that's what's gonna make the difference. And I oh, yeah. think within a few years, you'll have the opportunity to like turn on Postgres and then have an analytics layer that runs on top of Postgres. Now behind the scenes, you'll have all kinds of components. Like you'll have Amazon Kinesis running, and then you'll have another database that runs analytics, but the users won't have to worry about most of those details. And right. that's what's gonna make the stack much, much more popular in the next couple of years. I think so. We could yeah. be wrong, but I don't think so. We could be wrong. I mean, we'll see. Like, uh, I, th I think we've, I think big companies like Google and Facebook have been doing streaming data right for a long time. And it's taken a while for that to percolate out to like the broader, say, Fortune 500 community. But I think we're on the cusp of something big. Yeah. And finally, Appendix is a serialization uh, and cloud networking. So, so that's a book. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you can go buy it uh, at Amazon. Um, check it on O'Reilly, yeah, but the Kindle version right now, the physical one's coming out sometime this month, I guess. So, yeah. yeah and like you said, some bookstores that may already be shipping Amazon, hopefully we'll be shipping it soon. We, we got physical copies because we're the authors. So <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Can we take Sonny's question here? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. Greater automation for engineering and governance. And there's been a big proliferation of companies, of startups in this space, would you say, like data observability companies, for example, that sits, you know, very adjacent to governance. It's just like seeing what's happening with your data. What are your thoughts on this in, in recent developments? 
Same. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's everywhere. So yeah. we talk a lot yeah. about this. Yeah. Automation is one thing you should do. Yeah. I, I think what we have to be careful about, and uh, when we talked to Josh Tobin on one of our shows, he, he mentioned this too. There's a tendency with any practice to try to conflate technology with the practice to try to say, here's the set of tools, set of uh, vendor products that you need to do data ops, for example. So it, it, as you're thinking about automation, make sure that you're thinking about the practice first and then choosing the technology that will accomplish that and not the other way around. Because right. if you do it the other way around, you end up with a lot of complexity and you tend to not actually accomplish the goal that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So fundamentals of data engineering, go fi- uh, check it out, go buy it. We're shilling. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, that's right. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> but actually, after I have to cut out in a second. I have to go cut out in a second and go uh, check on my uh, uh, basement. There's um, finding some, uh, I don't know, things down there. So, yeah. <laughs> Like flooding or something? Something. I don't flooding? know what's going on there. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, so okay. We'll, yeah, we'll go find out. But yeah. So uh, anyway, we got it short. But thanks to the uh, audience for the good questions. Um, thanks for everyone for the support of the book. It's been taking off really well. So much appreciated. So yeah, go read it. So let us know your thoughts. We look forward to an ongoing discussion. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Have All a right. Good weekend. See you, everybody. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye.